you've got changing customer expectations of what they expect to be able to do in different engagements, whether it's with our sales team or our digital properties. And so all this stuff creates this very strong pool incentive for marketers to at least consider new technologies that can either help them be more effective in the things they have been doing or give them a bridge to start to experiment with some of these new emerging capabilities. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm today's host, John Miller, the CMO at Demandbase. And today's special guest, I am super excited to talk to Scott Brinker about the topic of the future of MarTech. I've known Scott for a long time since my days at Marketo. He is currently the VP of Platform Ecosystem at HubSpot, where he helps to grow and nurture the company's community of technology partners. He is also the author of the ChiefMartech.com blog, where he covers marketing technology management as the author of a best-selling book called Hacking Marketing, published by Wiley. Uh, before that, he was the co-founder and CTO of Ion Interactive. Scott, I am just so excited to talk to you about the future of MarTech. Welcome. I am excited to be here with you, John. I, uh, I remember we had a dinner, what, 10 years ago or something, uh, where we ate some good food and good wine, and we're talking about the future of MarTech. And I remember thinking, man, I bet there are a whole bunch of people out there who wish they could be a fly on the wall at this dinner. And here, Scott Brinker and John Miller are talking about the future of marketing technology. So here we are recording it for posterity. Yep. I remember you were like, trust me, man, account-based everything. It's going to be big. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> so let's get into it. I, I want to start with a question that I'm sure you get asked all the time as the originator of the marketing technology landscape. The question is just, so why are there just so many MarTech solutions out there? Yeah, it's a fair question. So uh, briefly, it's there's a supply side and a demand side factor to it. The supply side is there are no barriers to creating software anymore. Like, you know, between like the cloud platforms, AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, all these API services, companies like Twilio or Zero or Stripe. Yeah, on top of that, like open source solutions for like, I mean, basically, Anyone who wants to create a software product now can stand on the shoulders of these huge giants and then create something on top of that. This is has a lot of advantages to it, but uh, yeah, for better and worse, we see this explosion of software. And it's not just MarTech. We see it, frankly, happening across every industry, every function. Um, but for all these people creating software, right, you, you imagine like, well, okay, for there to actually be businesses there, there has to be demand, like somebody has to be buying some of this stuff, right? So, you know, what's the demand look like? And this is where marketing, I think, is particularly unique because marketing has just been in this state of constant change. I mean, I'm talking to you as a CMO, I'm preaching to the choir here, right? I mean, we are constantly figuring out, you know, what are the new tactics? Because all the tactics that worked last year don't necessarily work this year. We've got different channels that keep appearing. Once upon a time, we thought we had our arms around what the ad tech landscape was going to be and the social media landscape was going to be. And boy, just in the past half hour, it feels like those two things have changed completely. Um, you know, you've got changing customer expectations of what they expect to be able to do in different engagements whether it's with our sales team or our digital properties. And so all this stuff 
creates this very strong pool incentive for marketers to at least consider new technologies that can either help them be more effective in the things they have been doing or give them a bridge to start to experiment with some of these new emerging capabilities. And those two things come together and they create a very frothy and diverse MarTech landscape. And I think it's a great point. I think the fact, you know, the other factor you have going on is that marketing is probably the largest discretionary budget in the enterprise. And so it's also just really easy for a marketer to be like, hey, yeah, sure, I'll try that out. You know, anything that gives them a shot at, you know, maybe sort of helping them to improve their, you know, their goals. Sure, I can try that out. You know, so all those factors I think make MarTech particularly frothy. I I would agree. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's hard, you know, like, again, people who aren't in marketing don't really fully appreciate this, but like the, the responsibilities that marketing has, you know, for generating demand uh, in this environment where there's just so much competition and so much, you know, changing dynamics. It's, um, yeah, I, I've been saying for a few years here that as far as I'm concerned, like marketing is an Olympic sport now. I can't think of any other profession that has had to go through so much change so consistently, so rapidly for the past 10 years. And so, yeah, hats off to, uh, you know, all the marketers who are uh, fighting the good fight. All right. Well, so so that this actually leads me to, I think, an interesting discussion around something you call MarTech's law which is, you know, all this technology change and organizational change in marketing. Can you, can you explain what is MarTech's law and how organizations should respond? Yeah, so MarTech's law is um, the juxtaposition of two curves. So one curve is the curve of technology changing at exponential rate. So you can picture like this exponential curve rising rapidly up and to the right. Um, and then the second curve is how quickly organizations uh, change, which to more or less estimate it, let's say it changes logarithmically. Yes, it changes, but it's hard. It changes more slowly. We know change management is hard. And if you put these two curves up against each other, you, you, you see this like just widening gap. Uh, and I think this very much like taps into the anxiety, uh, that so many people feel around all this, all this change. We just, we can't move fast enough and we can't process, uh, you know, all of it. And the first thing to say is like, rest assured, you are not the only one. I've not met anyone in all my journeys over all these years who have said, you know, we got this all figured out. We're all set, all good. Um, you know, and so this is, this is hard because there's not a silver bullet. There's not some magical wand you can wave and say like, oh yeah, we can instantly change. It really comes down to being a very strategic about which changes you embrace because you can't embrace all of them at once. You have to really choose your battles. You know, the second is when we can never be like exponentially, you know, changing companies, we don't have to be perfect there. Frankly, all we have to do is be able to adapt and change more quickly than our competitors. So if we can like develop the mechanisms to adapt to change more rapidly than our competitors can, uh, that can be a way to, you know, uh, help, help get beyond uh, MarTech's law. You don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than the other guy. It, it, this is a true statement for the ages. <laughs> yeah, applied, applied to MarTech. Uh, but I, I think the other point that you made around it's really important to prioritize it, it is a critical one, right? You, you know, the amount of stuff that's out there and the new things you could do will always be more than what your organization can handle. You know, even if you're even slightly more agile than the other guy. So prioritization becomes so important. 
Yeah. Do, do you have any tips on how marketers that are listening should think about that prioritization? Yeah. So we're in agreement. Do fewer things well. Um, you know, I'd certainly seen like uh, some data. Uh, Gartner does their annual like marketing technology study and. Uh, one of the things they ask is, you know, how much utilization do you think you're getting out of your MarTech stack? Uh, and like a year ago, I think it was, it wasn't great. It was like around 57%, I want to say. And then they surveyed it again this year, you know, longitudinally. And it comes back and it's like, oh yeah, like 42% or something. Like people are basically feeling like, yeah, we've got this stack. We are not taking advantage of it. Um, uh, you know, first and foremost, yeah, to recognize it's 10% technology, 90% like the organization, the process, the people, the strategy around it. And so uh, making sure that you're actually allocating uh, that investment. And yeah, as far as picking which one, you know, which pieces of that you want to lean into, this is where the one thing you've got to get really good at, you know, to master MarTech is you have to get good at the analytics to understand like what is actually moving the needle. What is the, where is the signal relative to the noise? Um, you know, and if you're in a demand, you know, uh, business, you very likely have this well instrumented, um, focus on really optimizing that core, uh, motion. And yeah, there's room for experimentation, but what do they say? Don't, don't eat dessert before that, you know, you've, uh, eaten your vegetables. <laughs> So I'm actually going to jump ahead one question for a sec. You know, I think when I think about MarTech, I've been inspired by some of your writing and those of others, which sort of you know, breaks it up into a couple of key layers. You know, there's there's the data layer, there's a delivery or workflow decision layer, if you will. Um, there's a decision and workflow layer. There's then the delivery or execution layer, and then kind of a design UI layer. Or is that like some things to think about, just data decisions and delivery? I guess first, I want to talk, ask two questions about this. The first is, you know, when you talk about picking your battles and prioritizing, you know, in the stack, um, the things that are the biggest bang for the buck, I think a lot of marketers will think about that as new delivery channels. Like, you know, let me invest in that particular new shiny object or that new shiny object. And I guess my question, is that how people should be thinking? Or do you think that, you know, there's, there's opportunities to invest in all layers of data decisions, delivery, governance, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, uh, again, I, it's funny, like uh, being an analyst of MarTech uh, uh, stuff, you know, it's so easy for the conversation to go to the tools and the technology. Um, but again, I really was saying like, that's 10% of the equation. 90% of it is like, you know, the org, the people process and strategy. Uh, and so I always love to start with just understanding the use case. Like, what is the thing that you're actually trying to achieve? What, what, what is the outcome? How does that need to appear inside your organization? How does it need to appear externally? Because the reality is once you have clarity around those use cases and, you know, what the outcomes you're trying to achieve then almost always like every aspect of those different layers, well, there's a data component to it. There's, you know, how's this stuff like get decided workflow, you know, what's the actual user experience for it? Um, you know, so I think if you, if you stick to like a sort of a use case first model, um, it uh, helps you from going too far down the rabbit hole. But that being said, since, you know, I'm a little bit of a MarTech nerd, I'll go down the rabbit hole just a tad, uh, just to say, I think people do underestimate what's happening at the data layer. 
Um, you know, uh, this whole thing about third party cookies and third party data and stuff, you know, but is the amount of data, you know, that companies are in a position here, both from a first party perspective, but increasingly also like second party or through a different kind of third party, not the sort of like third party cookies stuff from uh, Google land that, you know, uh, we'll say that, but really starting to understand these data sets inside ecosystems across our customers. How do we harness them both internally and externally? This this is an absolute goldmine. And, and this is the sort of stuff that, you know, in a, at a time when I think everyone is becoming particularly sensitive to the efficacy of different marketing, uh, you know, motions and tactics and mechanisms, like leaning into the right data to amplify a lot of our current motions. This isn't even about creating net new motions. This is about making sure we're feeding the right data into our core engine. I think there's a lot we could be doing better there. So uh, if, if you were going to pick one layer to like over index on at this point in time, I would say over index on the data layer. Yeah, I mean, good, good data can make the rest of your go to market more intelligent and smarter. Why wouldn't you want to do that? But staying on the just this sort of, you know, well, the, with the, the title of the podcast is the future bar tech. So let's kind of start looking kind of forward. Um, one of the things that you've written about is how you know, we're in the past applications, including HubSpot, were like vertical applications that would kind of span across these layers of data decisions and delivery. Marketo would be another example that was kind of vertical, but that we're seeing a rise of more horizontal applications. Um, what do you think does that mean for the future stack? Um, will, will there be some people who, who have collections of vertical apps like HubSpot and Marketo and Manbase? And other people that have horizontal stacks with CDPs and workflow tools and et cetera, or is it matrix? Like what's the future look like? Yeah. So this whole thing about like horizontal versus uh, vertical, um, you know, sort of came up as I was talking about this idea of aggregation patterns inside, uh, people's tech stacks. And so for years, like people have talked about consolidation, like, oh, well, you know, these like, you know, 40 apps I have in my tech stack, I'm just going to like, it's all going to consolidate down into one app. And that hasn't happened yet. But what aggregation is a little bit different. It's about saying like, listen, you might have actually a fairly wide diversity of things, whether they're apps or data sources or channels or all these sorts of things. But what you want is you want these technologies that help aggregate those things into a useful and manageable way. And like the easiest example would be something like a data warehouse, you know, like a Snowflake or an AWS. Like this becomes an aggregation of however many different data sources you have feeding into that, however many different data, you know, apps you want to like, you know, power on the other side of that. The data warehouse becomes this like aggregating uh, the piece, you know, of the stack. And you could argue this is happening across the stack, like horizontally, data layers, there's workflow aggregation that happens. You could even think of things like user experience, things like, um, I don't know, like Slack and Teams, like have become in some ways like de facto alert UXs, you know, for all these different apps we use. But it's interesting, while that's a sort of horizontal aggregation play, and we see this happening all throughout tech stacks, there are still the classic vertical aggregations of like saying, okay, like for a CRM platform, like they're trying to aggregate that sort of customer touch point management for, you know, marketing and sales, customer service, and hopefully in a few cases there. Um, but they're trying to like say like, okay, well, we can aggregate data, workflow, user experience, but it's all the stuff related to that customer experience. 
versus like an ERP system or an ITSM system that's, you know, aggregate for a different market. What is really interesting, and this is, I think, what you're getting to in your question, is you look at most people's stacks, they're a mix of both. I've got certain vertical applications that are driving, you know, sort of the centerpiece of particular domains of particular teams. Uh, but then I've also got these like horizontal layers that are spanning across them. And I don't see that. I don't see one winning out of the other uh, in this decade. And if anything, I actually think like for most people who are managing tech stacks to be comfortable with the fact that like, listen, this is a toolbox, depending on the use cases, depending on what we're trying to do, we'll be driving certain things through these vertical aggregation apps. But there's other things that we're going to be leaning into the horizontal. And as long as the horizontal and the vertical are integrating with each other, that's actually not as unreasonable as it might sound like <laughs> if you're just trying to draw this picture in your head. As long as everything integrates, it works. It does, I think, require you to sort of accept the fact that there's going to be some elements of functional overlap across pieces of your stack. And that's just the reality of what it's like to build a stack today. Yeah. And, I, you know, again, like functional overlap is one of these things that, um, I don't know, there are some people who look at that and they say like, oh, well, that isn't efficient. But it, to me, it's a really like hypothetical view of efficiency. Like, you know, the efficiency that matters for me is the performance of business metrics, the performance of my teams, their productivity, you know, and if I'm blending certain things that like, hey, this thing works better for this use case for this, you know, app, and this other one works better for a different use case or a different thing, that actually, you know, from the perspective of, well, what are the metrics of efficiency that really matter? Um, you know, that can be perfectly valid. Uh, so. I think they're very well said. So continuing with kind of the future of MarTech, you've talked about the fact that we're entering the second age of MarTech, which is really, as I like to say, more about hand versus or. Um, can, you, can you tell our listeners, you know, kind of what do you mean by that? And what does it mean for MarTech over the rest of this decade? It's fascinating. Like the past two decades of MarTech, I feel it was very much these like dichotomies, right? Like in, uh, you know, the commercial software space, it was sweet versus best of breed. How many times have you heard that phrase, right? You either get everything in the suite that in theory all works well together. Um, but the downside is if it's on the suite, you know, you're out of luck. Uh, or, hey, you can pick your favorite tools and anything you want to do across the entire landscape, but good luck trying to get these things to work together. And when you think about like, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a particularly attractive choice, but that was the choice we were essentially being given. And we saw the same thing with like, you know, is it software or services? Because you can't be a software company that does services and you can't be a service company that sells software. Um, you know, even the internally, like, you know, for customization and custom software is always this like very hard, like, well, we either going to build it all or we're going to buy it all, you know, and there's very tight dichotomy between those. And again, all these they just don't fit in the world that we've ended up here, where in the cloud, everything is adjacent to everything else through APIs. Um, and so what we've seen is the sweet versus best of breed argument has kind of morphed into platform ecosystems, which is you do have these major suites that have become more viewed as like true platforms. They've opened up APIs, they've created marketplaces and partner programs to help, uh, you know, other uh, companies integrate better these platforms, make it easier for customers to discover these integrations. Um, and that the proposition should be like, you should be able to have your cake and eat it too. 
you should be able to have this like common unified, you know, platform at the center of your stack. But you should also be able to pull any of these specialized apps or new capabilities that you want and plug them into that software versus services. Right now we see software companies do a whole bunch of services. But before you get on to software versus services, just, you know, I think it does raise the question, how many core central platforms is a company going to have? Right. Because I'd argue the CRM is a core platform. You know, for most people, the marketing automation is a separate core platform. You know, I'd argue furthermore that at least my customers, the ABM solution is a third core platform. You eventually get too many, you know, if there's too many core platforms, it sort of pushes against your thesis. So like, what do you think is the right answer there? So everyone always wants to be a platform. Um, it, it's hard for us to not, you know, like any any software company, you're like, well, we're the platform for this. You know, I think in the way I mean platform is not even a value judgment, uh, you know, thing. It's really a question of like, okay, what is the underlying coordinating device, you know, across which I'm having these other things be able to stay in synchrony and stay orchestrated? You know, and you may have more than one, right? You know, I mean, if the CRM is something that more of your sales team is primarily using in their synchronization, that might be different than like the marketing automation platform that, you know, marketing is really driving most of their activities for. You know, I think, yeah, in a company that's really uh, embraced, you know, account-based uh, go-to-market strategies, the ABM platform, I totally can see that is basically, okay, this is going to be the coordinating device we're going to use and we want these things to plug into it. I think all of those can be valid. I think again, the, the idea of it is to say like, you want, you want to start to reduce the number of conductors, uh, to the orchestra without having to shut down the number of instruments actually playing in the orchestra. If that metaphor makes sense. Yeah. I think that th these, these all connect together. Right? It goes back to sort of, you know, what is your orchestra conductor in terms of the stack and all that kind of stuff. But but just initially moving on, you were going to start talking about software versus services. Oh, yeah, right. So software companies now do services, uh, you know, often under the guise of customer success or, you know, academy trainings or stuff like this. But, and, and all very useful stuff. Services companies increasingly are creating software packages, bundling them into these, you know, app marketplaces. And then, yeah, the build versus buy argument, you know, has sort of morphed into both. People buy these open platforms. They don't want to have to reinvent the wheel, you know, on all this technology. But the platforms they're buying, they're making sure they have open APIs and they are extending them with the specialization that they need for their business. And so, yeah, we're going from or to and. Yeah, I'd argue another one that I'd throw in there, you know, is the blurring between um, software and data. You know, because mm. if you go back... To my Marketo days, you bought a Marketo and it was an empty system. And then you had to go buy data from somebody else <laughs> and you kind of put it into the system. And increasingly, I'm seeing the, the vendors who sell the software are also bringing data to the table. Um, and that, that line's also breaking down. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, yes, couldn't agree more. So, but, but the general trend of, of and I think, is kind of your key one here. <laughs> Just staying on this theme of sort of your predictions for the future, another thing that you've observed a lot is what you call the shift from big data to big ops. 
Can you tell folks what does that mean and what are the implications? Yeah, so it's fascinating. So the big ops versus big data. Um, except for that is right. Obviously, we spent like, you know, 15 years or more, you know, where the industry kept talking about big data, big data. We're trying to get our arms around this idea that, yeah, just the volume, velocity, variety of data, you know, is uh, exploding. Um, and oh my goodness, how do we even create infrastructure to like capture that, much less be able to like, you know, oh, start to analyze it or have it there. I'm not going to say that problem's 100% solved, but we've largely gotten our arms around that. What's happened now is all the amazing things happening in companies are the operations we're putting on top of all this data that we've collected, you know, and it's all the like automations and different apps that are pulling data and, you know, plugging data in. And, you know, we've got agents working with this stuff in real time. We've got, um, you know, analyses we're running in different groups. You know, it's, it's like all these, I mean, one of the ways you can look at it is like all these ops functions that have sprinkled up all across the business, right? It's not just marketing ops. We got marketing ops, sales ops, rev ops, partner ops, you know, oh, we've got data ops and ML ops, and we've got the web ops team, you know, and actually, again, all these things, you know, they do share certain similar DNA, but they're all like creating these like processes and automations and apps and software that are running on top of the data layer. And I think this is a bigger challenge than big data ever was, you know, because this is a much more complex, you know, and I mean that in the very scientific sense of like multiple things interacting with each other, affecting each other, not even fully understanding the way in which they're interacting with each other. But I think this is where the interesting next decade is going to be is how do companies get really good at orchestrating? all of these different ops capabilities, you know, running at the speed of software on top of all of this data layer that we've created. Which I think is a really good segue to one of the last things I want to talk about, right? Which is you talk about marketing ops, sales ops, rev ops, you know, all this other kind of stuff. The general trend seems to be merging into one big rev ops kind of essential function or something. What does that mean for MarTech, right? Is MarTech going to go away and get replaced by RevTech? Uh, it seems a lot of vendors are kind of thinking that way. Uh, what's, what's, you know, how are you sort of thinking about kind of that trend and where does MarTech fit in with all these other go-to-market techs? Oh, well, this is the perfect time for me to unveil my, uh, you know, new site of uh, chiefrevtech.com. Um, <laughs> kidding. Um, no, I, th I, I think you're right. I think uh, RevOps is kind of a discipline unto itself. Uh, and it actually really aligns well with the big ops thing because it's basically an attempt to say like, okay, well, having all this stuff in marketing ops and sales ops and partner ops and, you know, customer success ops, whoa, whoa, whoa. Somebody's got to find the connective tissues and agree on the common definitions and the sort of the common flows across these. I think there's huge value in treating a RevOps organization, you know, as that coordinating function. That being said, um, maybe it's not nostalgia, um, but I still believe like the discipline of marketing is just vast and deep and continues to change and evolve in all sorts of really interesting ways. And so even if you consider MarTech to simply be a sub-discipline under RevOps, debate we could perhaps, uh, you know, argue, you know, I still think like that particular sub-discipline, oh, it's just fascinating. It's... Um, yeah, like we are in no ways coming to uh, the the end of Martech, 
if anything, like, my goodness, I feel like we're stepping off into this void where, you know, everything we thought was sort of stabilizing around like, you know, ad networks and social media and like, okay, well, we'll do things, you know, through websites. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, wait, wait, the, all the different channels we have for this, like, the, um, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to be a, a hype person for stuff like Web3 or Metaverse. I'm highly skeptical on those at this stage. But the reality is over the next five years, like the ways in which we engage and the channels and mechanisms we have for this are just going to continue to evolve. And yeah, marketing has to figure out how to be really great at that. And that's going to be a domain of MarTech above and beyond whatever it's happening. Yeah, I wonder if this connects back to what you're talking about with platform ecosystems, where platform may end up being a revenue platform that spans across sales, marketing and other functions. But then the apps spitting around it will continue to be specialized into MarTech and other disciplines. I think that's true. And, and I, again, I wouldn't underestimate to me where the blurring of lines is even more intriguing is like, all right, I'll agree. There's a blurring of lines between marketing and revenue. To me, actually, the more interesting blurring of lines is between marketing and product. You know, now you already see this in product-led growth companies, you know, and the way that marketing is actually embedded in the product and the product motion. But the truth is, like, if you think about where we just keep going is more and more of a digital world is more and more businesses. It's not just going to be SaaS businesses. It's like, you know, any of these businesses that are engaging with customers through digital channels and digital experiences, they're kind of in their own way, like becoming product-led growth, you know, companies too. And I think that blending of experience between marketing and product, um, yeah, I mean, like, again, this goes back to like, okay, is, is the state of digital experience, is that frozen? Is that not going to change anymore? No, it seems to be changing at a, like a ridiculously breakneck pace. Uh, so it's Martech's law, right? Like we, it's all changing so fast exponentially and us mere humans have our good have trouble to keep up right that's that's the oh. team and and count me in that bucket too like you know there's not a week that i wake up i'm like like wow okay yeah didn't know that was going on yep wow that's new okay well it's just main um yeah we're, we're all on this adventure together we don't have to be perfect we just have to be slightly more agile and adaptable than our competitors yeah outrun outrun the other fellow trying to outrun the bear yeah I think that's important advice you know, to kind of just come back to that because it can be overwhelming, you know, and, and we don't want people to just get into paralysis with, you know, understand like, okay, it's all right. And, and honestly, it's all right when you sort of have ability to go and learn and, and stay on top of it by sort of listening to and talking to smart people, which is why people are listening to today's podcast. So to kind of wrap up, where would you advise people go to kind of keep learning um, so they can sort of be one step ahead of the competition? Any books, newsletters, videos you want to give a shout out to? Oh, wow. You know, I'll be honest, like there's so much that goes through medium uh, that I love. Like if you track the right sort of topics, one of the things I like about it is you get a nice variety of um, uh, different authors, different views, different perspectives. So uh, certainly plugging into that. I hate to say like uh, Twitter used to also for me, I found that there could be a really good network. Like it seemed to over index, you know, in our profession of marketers being connected uh, through that. 
Twitter's been going on sort of a strange journey lately. I'm seeing like, yeah, that, <laughs> that audience disperse, but you know, like even engaging in like, you know, these LinkedIn conversations with these same folks, it's like, um, I, I find the most valuable thing in a world where there's so much change happening from so many different directions is to actually just keep plugging into like fresh perspectives and fresh ideas and not to get locked on a single person. That being said, if you want to follow chiefmartech.com, that will absolutely guide you all the way through everything you need to know. But And I think that's, that's definitely one I would encourage people to check out. And what about people? Are, you know, can you name three people that you would be inspired by that you think people should follow? Oh, wow. Okay, well, since I'm a uh, MarTech uh, nerd, I'll give you a few uh, folks from, uh, you know, sort of who I think of as fellow, uh, you know, uh, uh, champions of the MarTech space. Uh, Juan Mendoza, uh, you know, out of Australia, uh, does a great newsletter, the MarTech Weekly. Um, Carlos uh, Doughty uh, uh, used to run MarTech Alliance. It's now called the Learning Experience Alliance. A bunch of great education, uh, you know, content available uh, based out of London. Um, uh, let's see here. One more. Uh, uh, Franz Ramirezma, who runs MarTech Tribe out of the Netherlands. Uh, it's actually been my collaborator uh, this past year on uh, the MarTech landscape. But publishes a whole bunch of like great uh, MarTech content on his own. There's um you know, quite a few folks. David Robb, I'm sure lots of folks who already know of David Robb, but yeah, ever think about anything CVP-wise, uh, you know, David's your man, but also an incredibly wry sense of humor that I appreciate deeply, <laughs> even more so than the CVP expertise. Those are great recommendations and all people that I also go to to learn from. So thank you for sharing. Um, if folks want to get in touch with you following the podcast, what would you recommend? So yeah, on LinkedIn, uh, you know, uh, Scott Brinker, um, uh, Twitter at Chief Martech, chiefmartech.com for my blog. Uh, and of course, yeah, come visit the HubSpot uh, app marketplace. Uh, see what I do for a living here on uh, platform ecosystems. That's fabulous. You know, Scott, listen, it's always great to talk to you formally and informally. I really enjoyed having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining Sunnyside Up. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV. 